Hello, and welcome to today's episode of 219 Green Connect, where we explore topics about the environment and green living in Northwest Indiana. For past show archives, news, and upcoming events, you can check out our website at 219greenconnect.com or connect with us on Facebook or Twitter. Our ID on both of those is 219greenconnect. You can also subscribe to this podcast via iTunes. I'm your host, Kathy Sipple, and with me today, I'm very excited to be telling you about a symposium that's happening at uh, Valparaiso University next Friday. And here with me today, I am just going to turn it right on over to my special guest and Sydney Weathersby. She is from the Valparaiso, let me see if I can get this right, you are Executive Editor for Lectures and Symposia for the Valparaiso Law Review. And so you're planning the Fall 2015 Symposium. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and also, of course, everything you can about the symposium itself? Yes, thank you, Kathy, for having me today. Yes, again, my name is Sydney Weathersby. I am the Executive Editor of Lectures and Symposia here at the Valparaiso University Law School. And since I am that executive editor, my project for this year was to plan a symposium. And since I'm so interested in a lot of environmental issues, I decided to have my symposium on November 6th, a Friday, focus on key issues that we hear a lot in the media about the environment. So I'll have people come speak about climate change, energy, agriculture, and food. That is great, and you've got a real all-star lineup of um, speakers. I recognize some of them most definitely. Do you want to say a little bit about who you've pulled together? Yes, I have pulled together a lot of individuals who are both lawyers, practitioners, and key administrative heads coming. Primarily, I can run through the list of individuals I've invited to speak. I have Susan Hedman, who is the Regional Administrator of the United States EPA. So she governs the EPA Region 5, which impacts our state, Illinois, Michigan, and the other couple of Midwestern states. I have some individuals from the Hoosier Environmental Council, a couple law professors from the Chicago-Kent Law School, the J. Rubin Clark Law School, which is BYU, Um, individuals from the Oregon National Laboratory based out of Illinois, the Environmental Law Policy Center, professors from IU McKinney, and I also have a couple individuals who are partners and directors at various law firms that focus on environmental issues and food issues. So as you can see, I have a, a copious amount of individuals coming to speak on all of these issues, and each of them are tied to their specific panel. For example, the EPA head regional administrator will be speaking about the new clean power plan that came out on in this past August from the EPA. And a lot of the individuals on the various panels will be reacting to whether or not they do agree or disagree with what the EPA did or whether or not the EPA needs to go a little bit further to heighten um, and reduce greenhouse gases that are are emitted from coal power plants and other utility power plants. 
Great. And I'm not sure if we specifically address this up front, but I would like to just chime in. Even though this is hosted by you and you are a law student and it's being held at the law school, um, it is not strictly for attorneys, correct? Anybody is really welcome to attend this that's interested in any or all of these topics. Yes, this event is open to individuals who are interested in environmental issues. I know that we do have a lot of students. We have some undergrad students, law students, alumni, faculty, lawyers, general interested public who might attend. It's it's welcome and um, open to everybody who is very interested in these issues. And I definitely think that if you're interested in the environment, there is definitely someone who will be talking on a key issue that you might be passionate about. Well, that's great. I know some of these people have spoken at one time or another at Green Drinks, which is a monthly uh, local meetup, and it's actually held in, I believe, over 600 cities all over the, the world. But we're lucky enough to have three, uh, three chapters here in northwest Indiana, one in Valparaiso, one in Michigan City, and the newest one in Miller Beach. So people on that email list uh, hopefully will have gotten this invitation by the time they hear this and just want them to know that something that would very much be in alignment with the typical speaker that you'd hear at a Green Drinks. And, in fact, uh, one of the speakers I see from the Hoosier Environmental Council, Kim Ferraro, was the one who started Green Drinks in our area uh, way back probably 10-plus years ago. So she definitely has her roots uh, right there, and I believe she's a VU law grad as well. So that, that's pretty cool. And her topic will be, it looks like, severe droughts and extreme weather, can we stop climate change on planet Earth? And she'll be joined with a couple other people around that topic. Anything else uh, you can tell us about that particular topic? Yes. Um, speaking on the as you just said, Kim Ferrer will be talking specifically about climate change. She's on the climate change panel, and she will be addressing issues that impact human health. So how do greenhouse gases really impact on the individual level? And as you said, Kim does come from a line of experience with the environmental background, as she was or is currently at the Hoosier Environmental Council and from the Legal Environmental Aid Foundation. So we're very excited to have Kim speak on that climate change panel. In addition, I think the climate change panel, as we constantly hear um, online, wherever you get your news at, it's a huge issue. And as I said earlier, the EPA is trying to address ways to reduce climate change, but this panel will specifically be not talking about the EPA's role necessarily. It will be talking about how greenhouse gas impacts us. The second individual, uh, Dan Tarlock from the IIT Chicago-Kent College of Law, will be talking about the Californian drought. And I know that a lot of individuals have heard about the water issue that is happening in California. And I think Dan's main goal is to talk about the Californian drought and bring it to the Midwest and and talk about how these water allocation issues can, if climate change or if solutions aren't happening, can definitely impact the Midwest. And then concluding that panel is Lisa. She teaches at the BYU School of Professor Grosson. She'll be talking about natural disasters and explaining why there's been an increase in natural disasters 
and how, because of this extreme weather, it's costing the United States government billions of dollars. I know that I've seen statistics and information about how the United States has uh, spent about $65 billion due to Superstorm Sandy, $2.3 billion due to Hurricane Isaac, $1 billion in Western wildfires. And she's just going to kind of talk about the natural disaster and how and why that's occurring. So I'm really excited for that panel just because we constantly see climate change and politicians talking about climate change and how we can finally understand what's going on with climate change. Yeah, well, it's definitely a huge topic, and it's one that 209 Green Connect has addressed um, either directly through our podcast or in other events that we've supported. So just a few episodes or other resources I'd like to let people know about is uh, a climate camp that I participated in over the summer through um, Earth Charter Indiana, and that was held in Lakeville at a friend of mine's sustainable farm. She had teenagers, local teenagers, come for two days, and they, you know, these teenagers were so amazing. They were working on climate change at their level. So I think if we've got attorneys working on it, we've got teens working on it, we really need everybody to work on it. So I'm going to go ahead and link to that particular show just because I think it would be some good support and overlap. And then another one is um, a webinar that I helped host with Sustainable Indiana 2016. We did a webinar, I think it was two years ago, with uh, an expert from, oh boy, I'm probably going to get the name of it wrong. I'll just link to it. <laughs> I'll just link to it. That's, <laughs> I can't remember. I never know where we're going to go until we get into it. And then I think there was, um, oh, I know, another thing that I really like for a partial solution, at least for climate change, is permaculture. I don't know if you're going to be looking into that. I know agriculture is something that will be addressed through perhaps some of the other topics. But another previous guest of mine was uh, Randall Jamrock from Highland, Indiana, and he actually wrote a book, Permaculture Solutions to Climate Change. And uh, so that's got some really good information in it, too, that I will link link to. But uh, I'm really thrilled to see that's on your agenda. And then you've also got, of course, renewable resources. What are they and which energy source will win for the long term? So obviously that's important. But tell me, tell me your lens that you're looking at this through. What, how did you put together your guest panel? Well, I know that energy is definitely – we as the United States use energy all the time, whether that is me charging my laptop right now, charging my phone, turning little lights on. We use energy constantly. So – I know that um, renewable energy is kind of a new direction that we are trying to go to reduce our consumption level and harming the environment. But primarily when I thought about this panel, I knew I wanted to incorporate the traditional versus the renewable side and have individuals who focus primarily in the traditional, whether that be the fossil fuels, and natural gas or oil versus the renewable energy of the sun, wind, um, hydro uh, components, and figure out whether or not renewables are technically the um, renewables will technically, I guess you could say, outpace traditional resources or not. So when I started thinking about that, I met with individuals from the Environmental Policy Center, primarily Robert Kelter, who indicated that even though renewable energy um, are 
a nice alternative that they do still rely on some traditional sources to fuel them. So that was an interesting point that I learned kind of going into formulating what exactly I wanted this panel to talk about. But what my speakers plan on speaking about are fracking. Fracking is a huge issue that we hear, especially with what's going on in the northeast portion of the United States. So I'm going to have uh, attorney William Ayana come speak about what is fracking. Is it new? I know that recently we hear about hydraulic fracking, but technically fracking isn't something that just came up the last five years ago. So he's going to talk about the health concerns, what is hydraulic fracturing, the environmental impact, what type of legislative controls are impacting fracking, and just other enforcement mechanisms to regulate the fracking industry. Next, I'm going to have an individual, Christina Cantor, come talk about biofuels. I put biofuels in because I know that a lot of um, cars are talking about using ethanol to run their cars. And so I thought it would be interesting to kind of learn a little bit more about what exactly are biofuels and whether or not they can, um, I guess, compete with traditional oil as running your cars. And then last, I'll have two individuals kind of talk more about the um, clean power plan and whether or not the clean power plan is a great solution to reducing emissions or whether or not it's only a partial solution. So they will be analyzing kind of the traditional aspect and looking more so at how the clean power plan is impacting states and state utilities in trying to reduce emissions. Well, that sounds like a great, great lineup. And, and once again, my mind is trying to connect the green dots <laughs> of other people <laughs> I've you know, spoken to or you know where people might be able to go for additional resource, sources or information. And I, I know we have interviewed even you know NIPSCO previously. They had the green energy option, which I kind of think of as a green baby step that you can actually opt for. Anybody can do that, whether you've got solar panels on your roof or a wind turbine in your backyard. If you don't have that, you can still contact NIPSCO and say, hey, I want the green energy option. And what that will do is allow you to basically buy it through renewable energy credits. So even though NIPSCO isn't providing it, they are kind of subcontracting that energy through third-party providers. And the, the podcast I did on that kind of goes into the reasons why, you know, they're willing to do that. Um, so, you know, it's it's not as green as it could be, but it's it's a step. Mm -hmm. And then another episode that we did was Solarize Northwest Indiana, and that was an uh, episode that we did with NERPSI, the Northwest Indiana Regional Planning Commission. And I, I don't know where they are in that process right now, but they had done almost like a Groupon, if you can imagine it, buying solar panels in bulk and then making them available for residents uh, at a discount. So that was kind of a cool initiative. And then we've had uh, South Shore Clean Cities on. Uh, they're probably one of the leaders in our area that work with biofuels. So I'll reference all of those in the, um, in the show notes as well. Uh, but that sounds like a wonderful lineup, and I'm sure it's going to generate a lot of great, great conversation. 
And last but not least, this is probably my very favorite topic, is sustainable food systems, uh, subtitled Are Genetically Engineered food, Foods Harming the Environment or the Consumer? So that is just certainly something that's always um, of primary interest for me. Can you tell me a little bit about the lineup you've got there? Yes, I can. I This lineup here is primarily when I tried to create the sustainable food systems panel, I wanted to incorporate individuals who were attorneys, professors, and practitioners. For example, Emily Posner, who I have coming in from New Orleans, she's a part of the group called Recirculating Farms Coalition. And initially when I talked to Emily, I was astounded by how hydroponics can compete with traditional farming. I don't come from a farming background, so I, I did not understand totally what hydroponics was. So I naturally went to Google, and what I found out was how that hydroponics does not use any type of uh, soil or those organisms that are needed uh, in the soil to help produce their crops and actually how those crops are actually able to be grown in bulk and actually are com- comparing with uh, traditional-based farming. So I thought that was pretty cool when she started talking to me about how hydroponics is serving as an alternative to traditional-based farming. But the other two individuals will be talking about GMOs and crop contamination and the pros and cons of GMOs. I know that a lot of times we do hear about genetically modified organisms and the labeling. So it'll be great to hear interchange of the benefits and the negatives of uh, GMOs. I know that GMOs have been held to be necessary because they allow um, more crops to be grown on less land while using fewer pesticides and less water, which do help to keep the food production costs down. But on the other side, I've heard arguments about how GMOs can lead to cross-pollination, which leads to crop contamination, how GMOs negatively impact human health. So I'm really excited to hear that interchange back and forth between the presenters to kind of further understand what are GMOs, are they really needed, and what are the benefits and detriments of them. Well, I applaud you for taking that on. Uh, I have taken that topic on in a previous green drinks and I'll, I'll have to admit, I did march against Monsanto. I'm, you know, pretty squarely on that side of things. But I do really value the opportunity to learn, you know, facts about what may or may not be harmful about it. Um, I'm, I'm all for labeling. I'm just going to say that right now. <laughs> like, regardless <laughs> of what ends up happening being legal, I just like to know what's in my food, you know. Um, anyway, a little off track with that. I- yeah. I, I, too, like to know what's in my food and exactly where my food is coming from. I know mm-hmm. I just saw an article yesterday or two days ago about farm-based fish, and I wish I would have known three years ago because I thought eating farm-based fish was great when this article proved otherwise. but <laughs> Yeah, it, it really pays, I think, to know your farmer and to know the methods. Um, several years ago, I was lucky enough to get to go to an aquaponic workshop 
that was hosted by the Stewart House Urban Farm and Gardens up in uh, Gary. And there was a gentleman by the name of Earl Ward who had his own aquaponics set up at a, a nursery up in the Gary area. And he was kind enough to give us a tour after the workshop, which was held in a different location. It was just amazing to go into that hoop house in December in Gary, Indiana, and to see tomatoes growing 15 feet high <laughs> on on oh, wow. and Yeah, it was just really, really cool. He had uh, lettuce growing, tomatoes, probably some other things too. It's been a while. I think Swiss chard possibly. Um, but what he had was actually aquaponics versus hydroponics. And so with aquaponics, mm. what you've got is actually fish kind of in the mix. So the fish, um, boy, I can't really think of the politically correct term here. All right, I'm going to say it, fish poop. <laughs> Basically <laughs> becomes, you know, fertilizer in this closed-loop system. The fish eat, I believe it's duckweed, and then, you know, the fish, um, oh, boy, effluent, is that a better word? <laughs> kind of nourishes the plants. I wish it's it's been a couple of years, so exactly how it all happens is is getting away from me. But this gentleman, Earl Ward, got into it because he was actually a USDA food inspector and he was very concerned about, you know, fish coming into our country. I get you know, even farm raised country farm raised fish in this country could still be problematic. But he was especially concerned about, you know, fish maybe coming from China, where there are very few, if any, regulatory controls over, you know, water. So when you look at how much of a fish is actually water, it's it's kind of scary what ends up in your food. And uh, the other cool thing is just it uses, I believe, about 10% of the water generally needed for traditional agriculture. So you can just control it so much better. If you know that you've got clean water coming into a relatively closed-loop system, there are just all kinds of other winds, you know, that you can get from that. So it excites me to hear, you know, you guys coming together and, and really putting a big event around all of these different topics. It, it just sounds great. Yes, so what and is your, as you said, yeah. that, that panel will be having someone talk about the uh, hydroponics aquaculture and aquaponics so like i said i i didn't know about these types of farming i just thought it was farming that happened with the soil you're driving down 65 if you're from indiana and you see farms that's what i thought until i started Mm -hmm. speaking with individuals from recirculating farm and they told me about this alternative to traditional farming so i'm really excited for that panel as well yeah, and I see that uh, Nicole Negawetti is a member on that panelist, and I had the privilege of interviewing her earlier this year, right before uh, Valparaiso University hosted the Local Food Summit. And uh, I know she's got a real passion around local foods, and I really commend her being here a relatively short time and digging right into that topic. So is this uh, particular panel somewhat of a follow-up to that earlier Local Food Summit? I would say that you could you could say probably yes. I I think that individuals who attended the Valparaiso Local Food Summit will definitely enjoy a lot of the talks that are given by those on my food panel. I know that that specific event was catered to consumers, growers, producers, and I definitely think that those individuals would like to hear about these interchanges happening on my panel, whether that be the hydroponics, whether that be GMOs, or whether that be Professor Nagawetti's uh, 
talk, which will talk about uh, regulations, taxes, penalties, and incentives to create an environmentally sustainable food system. So I definitely would say yes, it might be a follow-up to the food summit. Good. Well, there there was a 64-page uh, local food study that was generated by NERPSI with help from a lot of different other groups that I, I can't remember all of them right off the top of my head. But that is available at the NERPSI website. And I know that when Professor Negawetti got here, she found out about it and said, great, you know, this happened several years ago. They outlined next steps that were recommended, what's been done? And, you know, the answer was a resounding nothing. <laughs> so I think she really whipped things into a frenzy and got got a lot of energy, um, renewed energy around that. So I, I really commend her for that. And she had a, a very interesting panel pulled together that was, um, I think there was Brad Hinesley from Spire Farm to Fork Restaurant. He's a very young chef uh, out of Laporte that does a lot of great work. She had Eve Kaiser from Loaf up in Chesterton that stands for Local Organic Affordable Food. And she's she's great. She kind of is a retail outlet for a lot of local food. And then there's a gentleman from Green Spirit Farms up in New Buffalo, Michigan. And he they do, you know, aquaponics or hydroponics. I, I'm sorry, I can't quite remember which, but the vertical, you know, farms. And I think mostly... Mm-hmm indoor and he was fascinating i can't remember his his name right offhand and then there was another woman that was a more traditional farmer and i cannot remember her her name unfortunately as well but uh really we do have a tremendous number of experts in this area and my hope with this podcast is again just to kind of connect the dots once people are talking about it to know who else is out there that cares about it so we can keep this going a little bit more easily um, so what about you? How did you get into these particular topics? What's your background? Well, my background is, as you mentioned, I am a law student at Valparaiso. I am a 3 and last year I was selected to be on the Law Review. So being on Law Review basically means you write a paper about a topic that you're interested in. Well, for me, I knew that I was interested in energy issues, so I decided to write my Law Review article on liquefied natural gas, which is basically natural gas that's compressed to a liquefied form and then shipped, well, I decided to look at it and analyze whether or not we needed to change our regulations that impact natural gas, the LNG industry, and primarily I sought to um, say how we needed to use American liquefied natural gas and export it to other markets such as China, or other markets that are reliant on Russian LNG to compete. So I I looked at my article as a mm, policy type of law review article where then it impacted and talked about the environmental impacts that LNG would have. So I talked about the positive benefits that LNG is better relative to oil, um, and if there was a spill, it wouldn't be that big of a Bill relative to a huge oil spill. And then I talked about the negatives on how that the increased drilling might have on the fish and wildlife and how it might pose as an issue for tourists who do visit coastal cities as LNG terminals are located on the coastline. So that's kind of how I got interested. And then I also watch a lot of documentaries. So <laughs> anything <laughs> that talks about... Yeah, what, what are two or three of your favorites? 
Well, I'm this so- is off, off, off. One I watched was on Blackfish, but that doesn't apply to this symposium. But I watched a couple of documentaries on fracking. I can't think of the name right now, but it talked about the impact that fracking does have on groundwater contamination. So I thought that was pretty cool. I can't think of a couple others. What What about you? Um, gosh, I have probably seen almost all of them on Netflix. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know I what? do it's, watch a lot of Netflix documentaries yeah, too. <laughs> yeah, I'm usually not buying a ticket at the at the box office window, so I didn't even realize I was putting you on the spot till I'm on the spot now myself. <laughs> it's like I can find them by topic, but I can't like bring to mind, you know, right away what the names are. But uh yeah, I think if you came up with about any any food-related one, I've probably seen it. Any soil-related one, I've probably seen it. But, uh, yeah, you know what? I food Inc. is one I did see. <laughs> yep, I did see that one. Well, I knew this would happen, and we run out of time quickly. Uh, I just so enjoy getting to speak with guests like you. So I want to just thank you once again for being with me and telling everybody about uh, the symposium. The way that people can find out more information is uh, I'm going to post this right on the front page of 219greenconnect.com. So if you're hearing this on or around October 27th up through November 6th, you can go right there for information. Otherwise, uh, Sydney, they can email you. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So Sydney, S-Y-D-N-E-Y dot Weathersby, just like weather plus an S-B-Y at valpo.edu and you can get information there. Um, If you're on the Green Drinks email list, you'll go ahead and you're going to get an invitation that way anyhow. Uh, There is a cost. If you're not a student or staff member, uh, it's it's a very negligible cost, but that helps, uh, you know, sponsor these types of events. So just check out the registration link. And if you can't attend, is there any way they'll be able to get information after the fact? Um, I'm not too sure right now, but definitely check back on the Valparaiso University website, and we might have more information. I think that okay. panel is, is is mostly for those who attend, but you never know. We might post some things online. Great. Well, I want to thank you again for joining us. Uh, this has been another episode of 219 Green Connect. I'm your host, Kathy Sippel, and this is, show is made part in made possible in part by Cothrive.org. It's an online community for non-traditional marketers who want to learn new media techniques to promote their cause or their small sustainable business. So thanks for being with us, and check back soon for another episode. Thank you.